Thanks for tuning in to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Hey, I want to personally invite you to our first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's a conference at the Outcomes Rocket and the IU Center for Health Innovation and Implementation Sciences has teamed up on. We're going to put together silo-crushing practices just like we do here on the podcast, except it's going to be live. With inspiring keynotes and panelists to set the tone, we're conducting a meeting where you could be part of drafting the blueprint for the future of healthcare. That's right. You could be a founding member of this group of talented industry and practitioner leaders. Join me and 200 other inspiring health leaders for the first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's an event that you're not going to want to miss. And since there's only 200 tickets available, you're going to want to act soon. So how do you learn more? Just go to outcomesrocket.health/conference. For more details on how to attend, that's outcomesrocket.health/conference, and you'll be able to get all the info that you need on this amazing healthcare thinkathon. That's outcomesrocket.health/conference. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. Today, I have an amazing guest. Her name is Dr. Patty Michelle. She is the co-founder and policy lead at. Health Enabled. With many years of healthcare experience, her focus is in global health and digital health and all that it takes to be successful in medicine. And so I want to open up the microphone to Patty to fill in the gaps in the introduction. Tell us a little bit more about herself and what is it that they do at Health Enabled. So Dr. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks all. I'm really pleased to be here. So not sure where to begin, except to say that so a lot of my work has been in global health. I've spent probably the last more than 25 years primarily working in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And my background really is in public health, so really looking at how do we prevent diseases that we can prevent and strengthen health systems to address conditions and help people in ways that, that they need to be helped if and when they, they do get sick. And for about the last 20 years almost, I have been looking primarily at the use of mobile technologies to improve access to health and health information in a broad range of different settings and was the idiot savant that did a PhD looking at mobile phones and health when the penetration rates were about two and three percent in most countries. So even before the telecommunications companies anticipated that we would have more mobile phones than people on the planet. That's pretty amazing. uh, What got you interested in that particular topic? Did you see where it was going or was it locked? What are your thoughts there? I didn't see where it was going. I had taken a bit of a break from my work in global health and I was working for a dot-com in New York. And when one of my mentors approached me to apply to PhD programs, which I had never like really planned to do. And so I was like, sure, I'll apply to PhD programs. And at the time, everyone was looking at, and, and I wanted to look at technology and health, but everyone was looking at the internet. And I had, you know, I spent time working in places like South Sudan during the civil war and Somalia and Uganda and Kenya, where there's just like no basic infrastructure. So There's no running water. There's no electricity. There wasn't going to be the internet for at least 10, 20, 15, 30 years. But we were starting to see mobile phones appearing, particularly in the urban centers in different developing countries. And so I was just like, well, what about cell phones? Like, what if 
people had access to cell phones, could use those cell phones to access emergency transportation, to consult with a doctor. Like, how could we leverage this emerging mm -hmm. technology in a way that could really help improve health outcomes? So I applied to a couple of programs. I was really fortunate because the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine had a science and technology studies sociologist on faculty. When he saw my application, was just like, you have to come to school here and you have to do your PhD here. And, and he was so enthusiastic about it. So I sort of began my journey, not really knowing kind of what to expect. It was, it was more around the like, well, what if people did have cell phones and, mm -hmm. and what if they could use those phones to do interesting things related to health? And then quickly, it, it sort of really started to pick up, even in my PhD research, which was an ethnographic study because there, nobody had ever researched it before. You know, people were already very informally starting to use mobile phones to access health services and health information and organize themselves and do disease surveillance. And so even just the natural progression in the use of technology was very, very interesting from very, very early, early, early days. Well, it's become very practical, Patty. And uh, I think it's, it's uh, really neat that you decided to get on this track. Why medicine to begin with? So I'm a first-generation immigrant to the United States. So nice. my, my parents immigrated from Egypt in, Very cool. uh, in the 1960s. And, and so, of course, as is typical of immigrant families, if you have kids that are good at math and science, then you're going to be the family medical doctor. And That's so great. it was one of those. And I was always very passionate about like helping people. And so I, I, I kind of had that, that bent. And when I was in high school, I, I was an EMT and rode quad in my town in New Jersey and was very keen to kind of get into that field. And I was, I was incredibly fortunate to have done my undergraduate degree at, at Johns Hopkins because at the time I was an international relations pre-med student. So, mm -hmm. so I wanted to work. So I had this like dream of being like a flying doctor in Africa. And so nice. I wanted to do medicine and health in underserved countries and, and populations. And I didn't quite know exactly what I wanted to do and how I would go about doing that. And why, in my first year at Hopkins, the School of Public Health offered a course in the winter session called Careers in International Health. So I took this course and I was amazed. It was you know, all of these people who had worked with the WHO and with UNICEF, as well as ministries of health from around the world, and this more sort of population-based approach to health, which is sort of like, instead of going sort of one by one and diagnosing and treating individuals, how do we start to look at, you know, entire populations? And that got me really, really excited. And so mm -hmm. I, I sort of fell passionately in love with the concept of public health and then started reading everything that I could in the space, including the World Development Report from 1993, which was focused on health published by the World Bank, which is, I think is the same document that got Bill Gates excited about global health, which, right? I, which I like learned like 20 years later. Nice. And I was like, that's awesome. I'm like, me too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Spencer then, you know, decided to pursue a, a master's in international health and really spend time living and working primarily in East Africa, working on sort of a broad range of, of public health related initiatives. That's pretty cool. And, you know, it's fun to hear your, your story about how one thing led to another and you just got involved with this group over there at Hopkins that was doing more population-based things and it just sort of, you fell in love with it. And as we fast forward today, the reality, whether it be global or domestic, the importance of managing populations and health, population health management is, is a very key topic. What would you say is a key topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda today? Yeah, I think we're getting to a place where the personalization of health, I think, is, is becoming more and more possible and really helping people to integrate health into sort of their everyday everyday lives and existence. And so oftentimes our intersection with the healthcare system is around a disease or around like a particular health condition. But as human beings, we're more than our disease conditions and, and we live in the real world and we have things that we're really passionate about and, and things that, that get us excited and we have families and we have and so I think it's really important to contextualize health within sort of the person and to really start to think about how do we move towards a more personalized approach to health, which I think ultimately will lead to better community health and better population health. And I think you know, right now we have uh, highly burdened healthcare systems that can't afford to deliver services to their populations, don't have the workforce to meet the demand, don't have the right distribution of healthcare providers in rural areas that can serve different types of populations and, and that sort of thing. And so it's becoming more and more important to engage individuals in their own healthcare and in their own health, ultimately, like nobody wants to be sick. So everybody's like, yay, let me go out there and fall sick. So, you know, if we can keep healthy people healthy for as long as possible and engage them in fun and new and interesting ways in their health and provide them with, you know, insights into what's going on in their bodies, either through wearables or different types of technologies. I think that's sort of like a really important push. But then also for those that do fall sick to provide services and engage them in ways that really acknowledge that each of us is very different and has a very different set of needs, interests, approaches, et cetera. And that health is a very personal, personal issue and should be treated as such. Yeah, I think that's a really great thought there, Dr. Michelle. You know, you, when we take a look at, at a patient just as a sick person, a disease, their particular disease, it doesn't, doesn't help. Thinking about it more broadly is going to help us come up with better solutions. I'm curious, so the work that you guys are doing at Health Enabled, maybe you could walk us through some examples of how you guys have created results or improved outcomes in these rural populations by doing things differently. Sure. So a lot of our work at Health Enabled for the past few years has really focused on nationally scaled and integrated digital health systems. So we spend a lot of time working with governments to develop supportive policies that can help sort of these emerging technologies be scaled to the entire population of, of their countries. And so for example, we've worked in South Africa with the National Department of Health on a platform called MomConnect, 
which a few years ago set out to register every pregnant woman in South Africa and provide stage and age-based messaging throughout her pregnancy, as well as for the first year of a child's life, and was largely designed using a lot of ethnographic work and research with voices and text messages that are you know, acceptable to the population. And it was incredible. The Ministry of Health and, and the Department of Health of South Africa took an, an incredible leadership role. And it was one of the first sort of scaled implementations where they're currently reaching over a million pregnant women in South yeah. Africa. And they have about a million a year of pregnant women. So it's, it's basically like they're reaching practically every pregnant woman That's in South amazing. Africa with these messages. And the data and the research on these types of mobile messaging programs is now starting to, to catch up with the innovations. And it's really showing that there are improved maternal health practices, that we're starting to see improved outcomes among children and, and newborns. And it's a really exciting time, particularly for these types of for these types of programs. We've seen similar results in India and other countries as well have, have started to like implement these types of programs, including Nigeria and China. I mean, the United States has our own version, Text for Baby, which is largely built on the same set of core set of messages and approaches. That's pretty great. And the nice thing is that once you, once you build it, you could customize it to the particular country for acceptable messaging and maybe like fill in the gaps in cultural traditions. And then it's just sort of like an out of the box tool that could be customized for each country, right? Yes and no. I mean, oh, okay. so, <laughs> <laughs> not so that, basics, it's never that easy. It's not that easy. Um, <laughs> I have a colleague and, at UNICEF and we joke with each other that we should write a book called M Health is Hard. Um, because it actually, <laughs> it's, it's a Sisyphusian kind of uh, <laughs> epic undertaking. Um, That's too you know, funny. What, what you think should take a few months could take a year. And, but yes, yeah, so there are some aspects of these types of programs, and, and it's mostly like the approaches that can be replicated from gotcha. one setting to another setting. A lot of times the basic health and key health outcomes that you know we're really striving for can be standardized across different settings. But one country might you know have to prioritize certain health outcomes. Another may have to prioritize other health outcomes. So for example, in a country like South Africa, where you still have relatively high HIV rates, things like prevention of mother-to-child transmission of HIV in the messaging becomes really critical during the pregnancy and, and, you know, or, you know, in a country like India where anemia is quite high and you do have eclampsia and preeclampsia and those sorts of conditions, then making sure that the women are able to identify the risk signs as well as like take preventive measures to prevent those conditions and maintain a healthy pregnancy. But then if, and when, they do start to notice things during their pregnancies that they can then take action at the appropriate time. Yeah, that's really interesting. So M health is hard. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and, and, so, and so, Patty, through your journey, I'm sure you've had mistakes, setbacks that you've learned a lot from. Is there one in particular that you want to take us to and, and sort of share and what you took out of that? Sure. So early on in my career, so I was really fortunate when I finished my PhD, 
And this would have been about 2006, 2007. I moved back to the U.S. and I, I decided that I wanted to live in, in Manhattan. So I started contacting different colleagues and, and networking. And I got a call from Jeffrey Sachs at the Earth Institute and uh, totally random. And, and he invited me to brunch the next day at his house. And so I was like- Just what? randomly like that? No, 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 no. I mean, somebody oh. had sent him my CV. And, um, oh, okay, gotcha. But they were about to launch a, a partnership with Ericsson to look at mobile technologies across 10 countries in sub-Saharan Africa. And they had prioritized health as one of the first areas that they wanted to look at. And they were like, you just finished your PhD looking at mobile phones and health. Like, yeah. would you be interested in helping us figure out how we look at mobile phones and health? And one of the early projects that we designed and implemented as part of this program was using uh, text messaging to register pregnant women and then track their pregnancies and then register children and then track their, you make sure that they got their immunizations and, mm -hmm. and those sorts of things. And we did this in, in 10 countries. And I think what we did is we spread ourselves too thin. And I don't think we did a very thorough job of like really explaining kind of what this was, et cetera. And so some of the countries picked it up really well, knocked it out of the park. We're starting to show like improved health outcomes, et cetera. But we had one country where when we then like a year later went back and, and did an evaluation, like discovered that they had a whole pool of pregnant men in this like what? community in, um, <laughs> in, <laughs> in Africa. And I won't say the country, um, but it was one of these things where we're like, what in the world is <laughs> yeah, going that's what on? I said. <laughs> and um, it was interesting. And so like people were, the health workers were using the system, but they weren't actually looking at the data that was coming out of the system or using the data that was coming out of the system. And it was one of my first, like one of my like early experiences really around uh, data use. And we find this all the time is that, you know, uh, health workers are really overburdened. They resent having to collect data if they're not getting value out of it. And taking the next step towards like encouraging a culture of data use is an epic undertaking. It is, it is very difficult to change sort of workflow and add value and help people to really see the value of data if they're not used to having data in their day-to-day -day engagement or work. So since that, I've spent a lot of time looking at and working on, on data use. And I think the other thing I think that's like really important too is that I've learned over time <laughs> is to just because you build it doesn't mean they're going to use it. So really making sure that things are done in a participatory design approach and that whatever it is that you are doing is like actionable, that, that something can be, you know, if you're collecting some information that you can actually do something about it, that you're feeding that information back to people in a way that they can really use it and, and glean meaning from it. So I think some of those lessons came out of that, but I, but I was like, looking at the data is coming out of this country and I was like, pregnant men, <laughs> this is so... This is so weird. <laughs> yeah. And, and so what a great learning uh, there, Patty. Let's make sure we build these solutions in conjunction with the end user. And let's socialize the data use 
aspects of, of the programs that we put forth. I think some things that, that are very easy to take for granted that I think you called out, Patty, is very important to highlight in the projects we take on. How about something that you're super proud of in your experience? What would you say that is one of those moments that you're like, wow, this is why I got into this? So a few years ago, maybe more than a few, like, so I think 2014, 2013. So I had done a lot of work in Nigeria around health system strengthening, around health information systems, as well as around mobile health. And it developed a very good relationship with the Minister of State for Health at the time. And he was really keen to see Nigeria become a leader in the digital health field. So he asked me if I would help facilitate the development of the national health IT framework for Nigeria. And Nigeria is a very complicated country. It's a federated system similar to the United States, India, etc. So the states have a lot of autonomy. And then you have like a, a federal government or a, a central government. And so it's always a bit of like a who has the authority kind of a, right. a question. And we got some funding from the government of Norway to do this, to do this initiative. And And we took a very participatory approach to the design of the national strategy. And as we were developing it, it was co-chaired by the Minister of Health as well as the, the Minister of ICT, Information Communication Technology. And we had over 150 stakeholders over the course of a two year period that were really actively engaged in the design of the strategy as well as the implementation alongside the design. So as we were like developing the strategy and, and working through the strategy development process, bits and pieces that were already being implemented, which was really, really exciting. And then it got officially adopted by the parliament of Nigeria. So for me, that was probably like one of the projects that I you know, have been involved in that I am like the most proud of. Um, pretty awesome. Mostly because it's so needed, like countries really need to have a roadmap because otherwise with technology, it's really easy to get distracted and to kind of go in a million different directions and not necessarily be able to have an impact or, or really be able to systematically improve health outcomes or strengthen the health system. So I'm a, a huge like advocate and firm believer that, you know, the enablers and the enabling environment and, and the sort of policies really need to be in place to support technology and innovation because the technologies are going to keep changing and new innovations are going to keep coming. But if you have the right sort of supportive policy environment, then that can really help guide you know, both short-term investments as well as the longer-term investments that you need to have in place you know, for these technologies to have an impact. That's excellent. Yeah. And, and Dr. Michelle, have you, have you had a chance to visit back with that uh, health minister to see how they've been doing since uh, the adoption of this roadmap? So the minister changed midway through our process. And actually, it, oh, wow. it still ended up being successful, um, which was actually like probably one of the biggest successes uh, that we had. Um, <laughs> Staying with it despite is, the change, right? Well, absolutely. And I think, you know, he, he was an excellent minister. And, and I think he he set it up in such a way that it could succeed without him, knowing that ministers in some countries only last a year or two years or three years. Gotcha. Um, so that was also like part of the success of it was that even after he had left, the process continued on and there was so much buy-in and such a commitment to see this thing through 
that we were able to get it through. And yes, I have been, uh, have gotten back to, to Nigeria and have a lot of colleagues that I, I still engage with over there and they're doing great. It's incredible awesome. to see it's the, the national strategy is being socialized at the state level and it's really providing the framework that, that they needed to have to make sense of technology. Congratulations. That's a wonderful accomplishment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Can you share an exciting project that you're working on today? Sure. So, um, and we're about to launch it in a few weeks at the World Health Assembly in Geneva, which is a global digital health index. So while Health Enabled as an organization, our focus tends to be to go deep in a handful of countries, as well as to like work very closely with large scale health implementing organizations. Um, We wanted one activity that could kind of help raise the bar on the field and and so we kind of debated different things and, you know, like national prize or different types of awards. And then, you know, and, and a colleague at our, at our incubator, um, the, the global development incubator suggested an index, like potentially is the field of digital health ready for right. an index. And so, so we spent a bit of time kind of benchmarking, looking at different indices, looking at different areas and really assessing the digital health field to see if it was a time for an index and, and really consulting with the digital health community around this. And so the aim of the index is to really help uh, countries at a national level measure and track their progress and maturity in digital health. And so essentially it's a national digital health maturity model that has been designed and developed using the World Health Organization International Telecommunications Union uh, eHealth Strategy Toolkit and in consultation with everyone from like the government of New Zealand and Denmark to Peru and India. So we had 13 countries work with us on the prototype earlier this year and now we will be launching at the World Health Assembly alongside a digital health resolution that's being put forward by the governments of India and Australia as a tool to help kind of countries really, you know, advance their work in this space and have some visibility into kind of like where they are and where they need to start moving towards. That's pretty exciting. And and I think it'll be a pretty useful tool for for the folks focused on the countries outside of the ones you guys are focused on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we can't be everywhere. And our goal is ultimately to work our way out of a job. So it's like, okay, how do we get everybody to start to do these things? And yeah, it's an exciting time. That's awesome. Uh, Congratulations on that tool. I'm sure it's going to be pretty exciting. Folks, if you want to learn more about what Dr. Michelle and and her team are up to, just go to healthenabled.org. And you'll be able to learn more about their purpose, their mission, their five-year roadmap, their team. They're doing some pretty cool things uh, for health across the globe. So definitely be sure to check them out, healthenabled.org. Getting close to the end here, Patty, let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine. It's the 101 or ABCs of Dr. Patty Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) And so we've got a a syllabus here for the listeners. It's going to be a lightning round. So I've got four questions for you followed by your all-time favorite book. You ready? Okay, got it. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Measure them. Measure them. (laughs) (laughs) 
That which is measured gets done. Oftentimes we don't measure them and we don't plan to measure them and we don't prioritize them. We just implement programs hoping for the best. Health outcomes don't improve that way. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Implementing programs without having a primary health outcome in mind. So designing in the absence of a specific health target. How do you stay relevant despite all the change? It's hard <laughs> to stay on top of, uh, on top of everything. Um, I remember there was a moment where I realized that I couldn't wrap my arms around the entire field of M Health anymore because there was too much happening and too many new players and too many new technologies. I think the idea is to really stay focused on what you're trying to accomplish in health. And then as you are able to sort of identify some of the new innovations and tools, really think through like how they can be applied to improve those health outcomes in strategic ways. And what's one area of focus that should drive everything in a company? Well-being. If we're all about health, then the health that we should be all about is the health of our people as an organization. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut to the chase on your next question um, <laughs> around the book. Um, yeah, let's do it. But we, we actually, at, at Health Enabled, when we created the organization, we wanted to create an organization that we would want to work for. So we we make everybody read the book Thrive by Ariana Huffington, which really looks at prioritization of well-being, you know, including things like sleep and stress management and, and all these different areas that, that really do have an impact on productivity as well as quality of life. So if we're not able to sort of put the oxygen masks on ourselves as healthcare providers or advocates, et cetera, then it becomes a lot harder to, <laughs> to extend that to the communities that we serve. And I think it's a really important aspect and often like underlooked aspect of the workplace and one that can lead, can add years to uh, and healthy years to people's lives. When you look at the sleep research and you look at the stress research and the you know, physical activity studies, et cetera, there is so much to be gained from mindfulness, meditation, from enjoying your time with your family and disconnecting from work. And so, you know, like people are not allowed to email when they're on vacation. It's like, you just know, like um, <laughs> <laughs> you're on vacation. <laughs> yeah. no, I, think, I think this is so great, Patty, you know, and, and listeners, one thing that you should take away from this recommendation, Thrive by Ariana Huffington, one book that I haven't read, Patty, but I definitely, I actually, as we were chatting here, just downloaded it from uh, an audiobook. It's so important for health leaders to take care of yourself. Because if you are running on fumes, there's no way you're going to be able to take care of the people and the populations that you're responsible for. So I think this is a wonderful recommendation, Patty. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, you're welcome. And listeners, don't worry about writing any of this down. You can uh, go to outcomesrocket.health slash enabled as in health enabled, to find, <laughs> <laughs> to find all of the things that we've discussed, the transcript, show notes, as well as links to healthenabled.org, and also links to the book that Dr. Michelle shared with us right now. Patty, would love if you could just leave us with some closing thoughts, and then the best place where the listeners could get a hold of you or follow you. Sure. So, 
you know, final thought, innovate. We need innovations in health. We need new ways of doing things and thinking about things that are really going to improve people's health. But just do it in a way that is grounded and respectful of people and, and really people focused. And also consider the enablers that need to accompany those innovations that are coming into the healthcare and public health setting. And if you want to, you can you can find me on LinkedIn as well as on Twitter at Patty Michelle and through Health Enabled. Outstanding. Patty, this has been so much fun. Really appreciate you sharing your experiences and and your stories with us. Uh, really look forward to staying in touch with you. Sounds good. Thanks, Saul. Thanks for tuning in to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. If you want the show notes, inspiration, transcripts, and everything that we talked about on this episode, just go to outcomesrocket.health. And again, don't forget to check out the amazing Healthcare Thinkathon, where you can get together to form the blueprint for the future of healthcare. You can find more information on that and how to get involved in our theme, which is implementation is innovation. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash conference. That's outcomesrocket.health slash conference. Be one of the 200 that will participate. Looking forward to seeing you there.